Oh, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> People want to hear about this. Yeah, we've got dozens of listeners. Dozens. Literally dozens. Uh, yeah, we're, we're back after almost a month of no episode. The last one was, I think, January 27th or something. And oh my God, really? Yeah, we did two. Well, technically, we did three East Meets Wests. <laughs> Uh, the third one yeah. has yet to be released, but it is in QA clearly, right now. Um, clearly, my uh, my wait words, yeah, my creative juices have just been shot. Yeah, we um, Nick's really the only one who is here doing a podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> I've done is, one, yeah. not every week. No, not every week. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. Uh, I'm holding the fabric of unwind media together <laughs> you really are it's true you're you're welcome rob in each of <laughs> mike's in my absence you you were here <laughs> steadfast <laughs> and the great part is i still don't put any pre- preparation work into it no you it's don't it's just you know i know when i need to be here yeah do, do you, you know <laughs> ish, ish. <laughs> i know that i, I need know to approximately when i need to be here <laughs> Plus or minus one hour. Yep. All right. Uh, we do have some follow-up, considering it's been a week. I think this is mostly stuff that happened fairly recently, but who knows. Um, the first the first, first piece of follow-up here is probably the most exciting one we've had in years. And that is that our former, well, part-time co-host in very early episodes of the show, <laughs> Carolyn Higman, has gotten her PhD, which is just... I just wanted to point it out and talk about how fantastic it is. I was going to refer to her as one of our best friends, but... Best friend and past host of several of the shows. Co-founder, even. Yeah, co-founder. Friend of the show, Dr. Chiggy Sue Higman. (laughs) Can I just point out that I realized what Chiggy actually... Like, where that came from? I only realized that a couple weeks ago. That's embarrassing. That that was her email, right? I I never had her email, but... No. It was her, uh, it was her, her username on the Wookiee cluster. Oh, yes. It, it was Chigman, Chigman. So we called her Chiggy. <laughs> yeah. So, so congratulations to Carolyn. She'd successfully defended on Friday, I believe, Friday morning. And looking forward to much research from her. I, I don't know how, actually how, if, if she's decided what to pursue next, whether it's going to be a postdoc somewhere or. But that's something we'll have to follow up on later. Maybe we'll have her back. I suppose so. Yeah, we can have her back as a guest. <laughs> Talk about her research. A special. I'm pretty sure she's unemployed, so. <laughs> I don't think that's how PhDs work. They just kick you out when you finish. <laughs> oh, man. But if it was, though. Like, she, she will sit down with us and Dr. Fogg's boot print will still be on her back. Yep. Uh, so uh the next piece of follow-up here mike correctly pointed out that it looks like i'm working at bell now because it just says rob goes to bell and gets a job (laughs) uh basically i I didn't really want to want to go too far in detail with this but i switched from rogers to bell over the last three weeks and had bell for a couple weeks now and it's unlimited internet instead of being a cap of 550 gigs. 
it just seemed to fit with our, our general theme of of being frustrated with internet providers and Rogers frustrated us in that they, after our two year kind of special deal expired, they were just unwilling to give us any new, any new good stuff. And, uh, so we, we gave up on it and went to bell and I've been very happy with it so far. I want to add in that, you know, you brought up that bell hadn't, or who was, who was it you with before? Rogers. Rogers. Rogers hadn't offered you, you know, anything worth kind of sticking around for. Right. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was about a last last week, I got a call from Telus, uh, one of those, hey, you know, you've been with us for a while, you know, we have a special offer for you. So I was all ready to hear, oh, we'll give you, you know, one month free and then whatever with the next level up, you know, pay yeah. the regular price. But their offer that they originally gave me was upgrading to the next tier of internet, uh, which is from 25 to 50 uh, speeds. And then I unlimited cap. So non cap, I guess. Yeah. And they're going to offer that for three months, three months at f- five bucks more than what I'm paying now, which would be a $10 per month discount. And then after that, $5 off the regular price in perpetuity, which I thought was an amazing deal. Mm-hmm. And we were already paying over data overages because our cap was, is only two fifty, right. And so it's five bucks per month extra for an extra 50 gigs. And then 10 bucks per month extra for another 50 gigs on top of that. Mm-hmm. So we were paying pretty much five bucks an extra per month anyway. So we're like, oh, an extra five for increased speeds and unlimited data is pretty good. But then they call back 10 minutes later <laughs> and say, oh, uh, so you know that deal we gave you before? Yeah, that's not right. Uh, it's actually three months at five bucks off and then normal price after that. So I was like, oh, so you're, uh, so, so you're saving me 15 bucks. Uh, yeah. Well, you have been, you have been a very loyal customer it's True, and you know, how could they, how could they not offer you that $15 off? I appreciated them throwing me the two Big Mac combos as yeah. a, as a, as a prize, but I, I respectfully declined their offer. So yeah, yeah I, I know, well, I, see, I hear what you mean about not really getting anything worth sticking around for in that case mike mike to cut to tell us you're more than customer number two five nine seven six four three you're an important revenue stream (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i was mentioning to you mike after you told me about this phone conversation when they when they called back the second time yeah and said oh you know this offer we actually can't offer it to you i would have said uh okay uh can you just cancel my services then? <laughs> and just seeing how fast they backpedaled and said, okay, fine, we'll give it to you. Yeah. I, I see. I was telling you, I'm not a good bluffer. Like I can't, yeah. unless I'm actually feeling a certain way, I, I have a hard time faking that type of, that type feeling. of emotion. Yeah. 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 I'm not That's why you gotta be, you gotta be doing this on the texting, right? Yeah. You know, not texting the email live chat. Yeah. Yeah. Live chat. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was I on, remember when I was on the live chat with the Bell guy, that was how I first kind of interacted with them about starting new services. I had like the trick is actually, Mike, when you're negotiating like this for for me at least, is to have a wild card. And the wild card I had when I was talking to them is that Julia was at work teaching, <laughs> and <laughs> right. so I I needed to consult with her before actually going through with anything. But this this guy was only going to give me the offer if I said yes right then and there in that live chat. And so I was like, well, she's teaching. I messaged her, but she may not message me back for several hours. 
And so I was just sitting there very patiently because I had nowhere to be. <laughs> and after about an hour or so of just waiting in the, with his live chat open, he was like, fine, I can just give you an invoice. Like he, he caved. But in that hour talking with him, the guy had showered. I had come and gone. <laughs> and he kept, he kept offering. He kept throwing little things in to make the deal even better. And I was like, all right, this is fine. But right. <laughs> so yeah, so just, you have to have that thing. I just wouldn't want them to call my bluff because then I'd be like, actually, I won't cancel. But then what, what's the worst thing that could happen in that scenario? But then I get a worse deal somewhere else. I didn't have a better deal to fall no, back on with someone else. They're still going to keep your business even if your bluff fails. I know, fails. but then my dignity goes down the drain. I, I can't. To who? This call center employee? Yes. They put a note on your account. This guy is weak. <laughs> I'm sure. I would not be surprised if they have feels like that. Uh, they call you back again actually we're cutting your services even more (laughs) i'm actually i think if they kept that kind of diligent note taking that on my or like on our accounts it would totally have notes being like if you're talking to the guy he's the good cop yeah give him what he wants because otherwise he's gonna put his other on the phone and you're not gonna like that a whole lot yeah Uh, if they kept detailed notes like that or actually referred to notes they had i think they'd probably be in a lot better situation but their employees don't really care i don't think they have a lot of retention with call center employees yeah so actually one of my first one of my first uh cell phone contracts was with telus and then at the end of the three years i got all excited i was like oh they're gonna offer me a deal <laughs> this is gonna be great and then they're like hey so you've been with us for three years and you're a valued customer and i was like i know <laughs> what are they gonna give me <laughs> and then it was like yeah we can throw in like an extra i don't know something stupid like <laughs> a, an extra couple hundred megabytes no worries and i was like okay so kudo you're you're the parent company of kudo Mm -hmm. they use your same network it's the same service but they're offering me so much more than you are right now and they're like yeah we can't match that it's like (laughs) they can't match their own subsidiary (laughs) yeah you you can't match your own company that you own (laughs) maybe that's just like oh my god we're still gonna make money from this guy let's just let him go let him go he'll be so much happier for a while a few years ago i was taught or i every once in a while i would go and see if someone could beat my fido plan back when plans were still actually reasonable oh man uh from the big three (laughs) and they they kept mentioning every time i went to rogers they would say oh yeah actually for no hassle no extra charge no cancellation fee you can leave your fido contract and come to rogers as it, it was almost like they were treating it like, oh, this is a special deal. We will give you just, uh, we'll buy out your contract with Fido if you come to Rogers. And I was like, but you're the same. Like, this isn't, <laughs> you're not losing a customer. I'm just switching. And so I never did. And I'm, I'm so glad I never did. Guys, we're living in a world where $80 per month is a reasonable cell phone bill. Yeah. That's, for almost nothing. For nothing. Yeah. For like two gigabytes a month. I'm like, Oh my gosh, but I'm never letting this plan go. Mike, <laughs> Mike, you're you're not considering you get free unlimited nationwide calling and texting. What? Oh, I'm <laughs> sold. <laughs> I use six minutes a month. Uh, 
Well, see, oh, I dude. actually, I actually do use phone calls, but if I needed to, I could just use data for that. Yeah, like, I use Hangouts. Yeah, exclusively for calling. Yeah. No, like I, if I needed to, I could because mm-hmm. I have the cell coverage. I, I use mobile voice, but yeah, I don't need it. Yeah. So, Rob, earlier you're mentioning how you're sitting around at home on the computer because there's nothing better to do. Do you yeah. have better things to do these days? This, yeah, as of this week, I have better things to do. I mentioned on the last episode I was on of East Meets West that I got hired by NSERC again. And so starting last Wednesday, I was working there. And a lot of the projects that I've been, like, I've basically just done a lot of reading so far, so I'm not necessarily in the best position to discuss what what I'll actually be working on because it's mostly <laughs> just know. been background reading. Right. But working in the um, the Grants and Scholarships Division of NSERC and doing some performance management analysis so far. Could you try and sound a little less excited, Rob? Like, I need you to calm down but here. Like I said, I don't know the full extent yet. So there's a bunch of different projects that do seem pretty exciting. Like, I love looking at spreadsheets. Like, spreadsheets are my life. If 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 I had an ideal life, I would just be, like, making advanced spreadsheets. And <laughs> I think I'm going to get a lot of opportunity to do that. So I really am excited. Did you ever, did you ever consider working at a bank, Rob? I did. I actually... I, did I interview at a bank one time? It did not work out, but yes, I I did consider that. At the time, I was a university student and I had no background in finance, so I wasn't surprised. Because there are also like, you know, investment banks and stuff like that where they actually cut the cord for the mouse, which is symbolic because they could just not give their interns a mouse. <laughs> but they they cut the cord for the mouse because... They want you to be using the keyboard shortcuts for Excel because they think that if you reach for the mouse, you're wasting too much time. I mean, that's a little silly. It sounds like your dream. That's very ridiculous, actually. Yeah. Because I'm very fast with the mouse. There's a lot that, like, clicking on a cell would... Unless there's a shortcut to, like, go to cell A4, then a mouse... There is. I believe there is, yes. Uh, What is that? You know in that little window in the upper left corner where it shows what cell you're in? You can actually enter stuff into that. But how? Well, What's the shortcut have, for that? You'd have to look at it. I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, I, you, the way you both went, oh, there's definitely a thing, well, but neither of you know is. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I've just never needed that level of power user. Yeah. Right. Or you could just click into but, that box and enter it in. Well, but you don't have a mouse. Well, you should, it's, because that's my point. No, I, I, we're on the, yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> so Rob, has your old boss come to chase you down and finish the work you were working on before you got let go? No, but I'm supposed to probably be meeting with him next week. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens. <laughs> hey, so we employed you again. <laughs> Where is that project? Do deadlines mean nothing to you, Rob? It's as, been months and no work has been done. <laughs> as far as I know, everything went fine. Um, the last email that I had in my inbox when I reopened it was a thing saying we need access to, or they were trying to get access to my email so that they could see, like get access to files and stuff. But as far as I know, that's just because their, the file management system at NSERC is pretty opaque. Like it's hard to navigate and find stuff unless you put it there. Right. And so, yeah, they were trying to figure that out, but, and I was like, go for it. I, 
I want to help as much as possible, but I'm I'm not there. Rob's got like five job offers hitting his inbox from other places. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind those. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. that's exciting. So yeah, as I get more information about what I'll be doing, I'll I'll talk about it. But for now, it's mostly been just reading about the um, the grants programs that NSERC has and kind of how they're given out. Doing, I think I'm going to be doing some stuff optimizing how much money goes to each like researcher that applies and whether we should be giving a lot of money to a few different researchers or like a little bit to, to lots of them, hmm. which I, I'm very intrigued to see which is more kind of efficient and which is a more effective so, use of, of government uh, like tax funds. So are, are you almost going to be doing like a meta analysis of yeah. prior distribution to yeah. see kind of like rate of return and that kind of thing? Yeah, like frequency analysis kind of stuff. Oh, I'm very intrigued. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't sound excited, but you're saying words that make it seem like you're excited. It's hard to. No, this is, this is like my thinking face when I, you know, you just, you're, you shut down and you're in your own mind, but you still need to communicate to the outside world. Yeah. That's that face. That's, that's my normal face. Everything else is the weird, the is that weird like time. Resting thinking face? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mike, let, let's move on to, to actual scientific follow up from, from outside our lives. Not that there's anything wrong with our lives, but what do you, uh, you have some news, some update on the Netflix whole geoblocking situation? Yeah. So, there's been a lot of talk on VPNs and how they're getting the, kind of beat down from Netflix these days. And uh, so I I told you guys before how our TV stopped being able to access Netflix through their, the unblocking program that we had. Yeah. Uh, For some reason, the laptop still works with it, but the TV has been blocked. I don't know Mm. how, how that works, but um, it's, it looks like now not only is Netflix blocking the service, the, the, stuff being accessed by VPNs, but PayPal has started blocking accounts that are associated with unblocking services to use them. Right. So what this one company was, let me just pull up the name here. Unotelli. 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 Uh, based in Canada. They, uh, they're, yeah, similar kind of unblocking service where they issue a DNS to use. I think it's, I'm assuming it's DNS based. Yeah. Because I think that's what most of them are they issue a DNS to change your region. People were previously able to pay with PayPal for their service, but now PayPal has blocked Unotelli from having payments processed from them. So now they only accept credit cards. So I guess because Unotelli is using a service that violates uh, copyright, trademark, right to public publicity or privacy, um, in Canada, then PayPal saying, well, you can't use it because it's an, an illegal or kind of semi non-legal yeah. service. Uh, so that's, that's the basis for why they're blocking that. Um, so we'll, we'll see how much further this goes as mm-hmm. far as these types of things being cracked down on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of continued bad news for the unblocking industry. Yeah. I, I read a pretty hilarious think piece. From when this happened, just talking about how PayPal is just doing something like this is just dumb on PayPal's part because immediately the services were like, 
Yeah, they shut down PayPal. So if you use PayPal to pay, you will just have to move to your straight to your credit card and continue paying us. And so, like, right. PayPal is just losing customers, but right. Well, it's, it's they're not really affected. It's a proactive move too, though, because say if at the end of the day the government rules that these unblockings are straight up illegal, mm-hmm. because right now it's just Netflix saying we're not going to allow it anymore. It hasn't right. been coming from the government of Canada saying it's illegal, but yeah. I think a lot of these companies are seeing that coming possibly. So they're covering their themselves to say we're ta- cutting ties to them as soon as we're realizing that it's illegal or possibly illegal so that the government doesn't come back and say, okay, well, you have to pay us fines for allowing these services, even retroactively possibly. Yeah. Is that going to happen? That seems really unlikely. But but see, for the amount of revenue that PayPal's getting from these smaller unblocking services, I don't think... I think the I think the pro-con, the potential payoff is greater than any losses from loss of service. Yeah. I think like in this in this article here, uh, which is actually from Mobile Syrup, they talk about a legal gray area. I think that's yeah. kind of a, a di- an odd way to describe it because it's like the fact that no laws have been made about it either way doesn't make it a legal gray area. It makes it a legal just carte blanche. You can just do whatever you want until they start enforcing something or not enforcing anything. Like they're just there's no it's too new. It's an it's a new thing and no court has actually ruled on whether it's legal or not. So it's just yeah. fine. Yeah, the law hasn't caught up with how it's being used because right. there are legitimate ways to use VPN and region changing services. Yeah. But in this in the ways being used for Netflix and other types of services that are region specific due to copyright or or that type or licensing it's, it's yeah like you said it's a new thing that the law hasn't caught up with mm. so yeah it's in that case it's it's a legal white area because there's no laws that are against it right now mm-hmm. that is how reductionist theory works yeah although um i was gonna say have any of you seen that meme that's floating around on facebook that has a picture of Elon Musk and saying that he was an illegal immigrant and that, you know, had they just kicked him out of the States, he wouldn't have built Tesla or PayPal. <laughs> I was actually thinking like, I don't know anything that Elon Musk does. I just know Tesla and SpaceX. That's what I know of him. Well, he has the solar company too. He does like the solar the, company. Yeah. I think it's called solar city. Maybe. He he has a bunch of kind of energy stuff. But yeah, he he was also, he created PayPal and then sold it to eBay. Okay. Like, have you, have you seen that one floating around? No, I haven't seen it, but yeah, it's, it's a very valid point. Yeah, I have. It's interesting. But what's funny is I, I saw that and immediately headed to Snopes. And as you should, I guess always, (laughs) um, Snopes, very good organization, but uh, Elon had actually commented on his legal status Mm -hmm. and he was saying, you know, it was a legal gray area and (laughs) his brother, his brother looks at him, go, goes, was it though? And he's like, it was a legal gray area. So it's just funny that we're talking about legal gray areas and I just came across that and we're going to talk about Elon later. To to go off on a even further tangent on that. Ooh, rabbit this, hole. The reason, like, uh, that, that whole point of, you know, not all legal, illegal immigrants are 
not contributing to society. That's why the U.S. has started processing illegal immigrants and giving them, I don't know what the term would be, but basically saying, okay, if you come forward and start the process right now, we're not going to kick you out kind of thing. People who have established uh, residences and are contributing, they have jobs, all that kind of stuff. They don't have to be in hiding anymore. They can come and actually get legal residency uh, even if they amnesty programs yeah amnesty that's that's what i was looking for yeah which is why yeah because otherwise you'd have to be hiding the whole time but yeah they're recognizing mm-hmm. that these people are contributing to society and are valuable members of the united states huh. which is good cool yeah i was gonna start playing at devil's advocate just because <laughs> that's usually what what i think is valuable in a show like this and are they Mike? Are they really? And then it's like, nope, not going, not going down on that one. It's... Also, I think I should just keep like a big carrot here, and anytime we head down a rabbit hole, just like start eating it. Oh yeah, for sure. Crunching loudly into the mic. <laughs> I've always thought that we need like a soundboard for like sound effects. So it's like going down a rabbit hole, boing or something like that. <laughs> become a radio dj <laughs> <laughs> i hope that boy is what we go with yes. specifically for rabbit holes for really no reason <laughs> well rabbits hop yeah that's what i was going that with makes mm-hmm. a boring mm-hmm. sound if we're going full on onomata- onomatopoeia yes, yes. Yeah. which sounds nothing like its actual m- meaning but that's fine mike what's what's your next piece of follow-up <laughs> Uh, well, we may as well talk about Elon Musk since we're already sure, yeah. about him. Uh, I, I'm going to just go out and say that I called this because when we were talking about the SpaceX program and I said, oh, now now Elon Musk has to come up with electric rockets. And you guys are like, okay, Mike, if you say so, that's <laughs> going to be a thing. Well, sure enough, Elon has said he has ideas for an electric plane that can take mm-hmm. off vertically. And as we all know, an electric vertically taking off plane is basically a rocket. So yes, that's well, or a helicopter. No, a rocket, Rob. Or the, uh, that English one that has the wings or the engines that rotate on the wings. Well, that, that's kind of what I was thinking of. That's probably the route he was going with, with the electric vertically taking off idea. But yeah, I, what is that plane called? Harrier, the jump jet. Harrier, maybe. Yeah. 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 Those are the ones that you have on those cargo air carrier ships. Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, I think it's it's kind of cool that I like Elon just teased this idea. It's not right. like it's a fully fledged product at any I'm any very stretch, intrigued as to how you'd get the proper amount of thrust for an electric rocket. <laughs> it just seems like it would be very difficult, but I'm intrigued to see what he comes up with. Have you not well, seen what he's achieved already, Rob? Well, I'm very, very difficult excited. is not in his vocabulary. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I there's yeah. We should talk off air about a potential Elon Musk partnership project. Definitely. <laughs> with Unwind Media? No, with other people. But Unwind Media? <laughs> what if what if we could just set up in a completely Otherwise, off-the-grid town, completely supported by solar and power walls. Let's do it. I'm yep. game. And, and we'll okay. drive Teslas, obviously. But Obviously. 
Well, wait, here, um, you only really need them in the winter or if you're going somewhere for groceries or not even then, because we'll have bikety bikes in this town. Oh, electric bikes. I mean, if it's in Nevada (laughs) or like California, it'll be fine. But if we're in Canada, then it will not. Yeah. There, there, will be a few months of the year where you'd have to use your fat bike, obviously, but that's why you get a fat bike. I guess so. So you can bikey bike in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then in, in other rocket space news, Virgin Galactic has come out with their next model of their space tourism plane. Yes. If we all remember, the first one in 2014 had a fiery demise. Yes. So they've come out with 2.0 that apparently is a bit more intelligent and safetyed. Uh, there's an interesting quote from Virgin Galactic saying that the first vo- the first version of Spaceship Two, which is what it's called, I don't know why it's called Spaceship Two if it's not the second one. It, what do you mean it is the second one? Wasn't the first one called Spaceship Two as well? I think there was Spaceship One, One and Two, but I think they were called Spaceship One. Oh, okay. So th- there's a th- there's a firm that developed the first one. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one as well, that they didn't compensate for potential human error. Right. So what what caused the malfunction of the first one was due to human error, and this company didn't think that that type of human error was possible slash realistic enough to yeah. incorporate into its safeties. Which, you know, considering it's a plane, you'd probably have to cover most, if not all, human error potential. But yeah. I guess they didn't feel that it was. So this new version, I think, takes that into account, if not more than that. Um, so, yeah, they had, they'll see once they start testing this one with with people in it to see how it goes. But hopefully it has a better outcome than the first one. Sure. And uh, this is the type of plane that gets carried up by a larger mothership and then blasts off into the space, quote-unquote space, by its minimal definition to <laughs> give passengers that feeling of weightlessness and then fall back to earth. So it's it's not for any other purpose than just a thrill ride, I guess at this point. Yeah. But cool. No, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep our eye on it. I was actually it, having a conversation last night with, uh, with some people about, I think we started talking about risk and skydiving and then we were talking about, how to make a plane less bumpy. And I said, well, I would take, I would take Virgin Galactic space plane. Cause then you fly just above the atmosphere above at least most of it. And how I would find that safer in theory, not in practice, obviously given the, <laughs> the history of the test flights, but in theory, once they get kind of space planes better, I would much rather go up into the, like the stratosphere or the ionosphere and fly through well, like there'd be no turbulence up there because there's very little air, so you just have to go fast, and you could right. like go to Australia in a couple hours. Didn't didn't they try that with Concorde? Well, Concorde was up maybe a little bit higher, but its main thing was like low drag, high speed, and it was right. just it was too expensive given that technology to be viable. Yeah. So they took it off line. It wasn't like it was very dangerous or anything. It was just not as popular as it needed to be to stay going. Yeah. Does anyone else have an issue where an article will consider free fall 
as weightlessness? Is there really an objective difference in the, how it feels? In well, it's, but that's the thing. I don't. It's not about how it feels, but you you're not weightless if it's you're in free microgravity, fall. right? Like that's you're the just falling. No, you're just falling. But like if you're in space, well, I mean, you're in microgravity. No, yeah, in, in space is microgravity. Yeah, but you're still in free fall. In space, you're also no. technically in free yeah. fall. You're in free what? fall. You're falling. No, with you're style. not. You're falling around the yeah, earth. Yeah, you are. No, in in orbit, yes. Yeah, not in. I'm not talking about okay, orbit. Okay, yeah, we're talking about orbit. I'm not talking about orbit. Okay, I'm talking if you're just out in space in like actual zero gravity. Then that's okay. that, that's weightless, right? Yeah. Anything else is free fall. Yes, you're you're accelerating constantly, and the acceleration is just a lot lower if you're like you you appear or you feel weightless unless there's air resistance. Okay, so in the vomit comet, that's yeah. just free fall simulating weightlessness, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. so if you're if you're in the vomit comet during free fall, yeah, and you're in an identical capsule in open space i'm not saying that the experience what's the difference from your reference frame i'm not saying the experience is different i'm just saying you can't call it weightlessness but it's apparent weightlessness sure yeah but these articles aren't saying it they're like oh they're they experienced weightlessness for however long i was like that's not weightlessness that's just free falling yeah the argument could be made that you are experiencing weightlessness even if you're not actually weightless but that's a semantic argument i just i just wanted to bring that up neither here nor there (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so you have one more uh, piece of follow-up, Mike? Yeah, this is kind of more of a, you should all check it out when you mm-hmm. have time. Because I, I don't want to get too much into it right now, because we could talk about it for a good, lo- good long time. But we were chatting about solar power in the electricity sense, and it comes up every so often. And someone in Calgary actually bought into the NMAX solar program that they have, where for however much you get the installation of the solar panels and then you're still hooked up to the grid, but NMAX buys back the excess electricity uh, at the same current rate as they're selling it. But then if you ever have to buy electricity off the grid, it's the current rate plus five and a half cents uh, transmission charge, I guess, or whatever. Okay. And this guy did it and he's finding that he's generating as much electricity as he needs. So like his electricity generation matches his electricity consumption. But the issue is that he's not generating it at the right time because obviously with solar, it's only generating when there's sun. So if when he's using it in the evening, he's obviously having to use a grid. Uh, So that's where he's buying the five and a half cent per kilowatt hour um, charge for anything he has to buy. So long story short, he's, seeing that the payback period for his solar panel system is greater than 30 years, which for all intents and purposes is not at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he's obviously saying that battery storage would allow him to rely just solely on solar, but it's not economic. It's even less economic because you have to actually buy the battery, have it installed, um, all that kind of stuff. And then I guess like batteries themselves aren't going to last for 30 years. So right. At least not with current technology. So there's all those things to consider when you when you look at the economics of it. So it's kind of like, well, solar is good if that's something you value, you know, to have alternative energy. But it's not a cost savings by any stretch. Not right now. And not in Calgary. Right. So hmm. just at current power like if, rates. 
if you had something closer to the microfit program, I'm sure it would work a lot better. Like the microfit program in Ontario. But which one's that? Uh, we've talked about it a lot because it's kind of a big deal. Makes a lot of people very upset in Ontario. <laughs> very I'm upset. not familiar with the name, but oh, they pay out like 18 cents a kilowatt hour if you're a generator under a certain threshold, and if you're generating under that certain threshold, it's almost certainly wind or solar. Yeah. And so you'll have people that like uh it's Ottawa did an interview did, yeah. with a lady Kim that, Scott. Uh, pardon? She was I didn't with, hear that again, I'm sorry. She was with the Ottawa Renewable Energy Cooperative. So they did micro yeah. they worked with microfit projects and and they all okay. kind of paid into it and then got the benefits out. Hmm. Yeah, like she just she would not have that kind of job without the microfit program. Yeah. Hmm. And a lot of people are very upset with it because uh, it ends up costing the consumer in Ontario a lot of money for the power that's generated. But that's how you invest in a renewable right. energy future. You have to stimulate it. Yeah, right. Hmm. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that there's actual some statistics and hard numbers with, with what solar looks like if you use it in Calgary. So I'd encourage anyone who considered solar just was curious about how it looked economically to take a look at this imager uh slideshow i guess yeah. you could call it yeah and there's also i've put a link in the notes from an organization called dsmog which okay. i also saw floating around on facebook mm -hmm. the title of the article is here's how canada could have 100 percent renewable energy by 2035 i disagree with the title <laughs> just <laughs> throwing that out there right now but um like the map is really interesting to look at because it maps out uh our wind and solar resources in canada right i find it quite interesting cool hmm. i will uh i'll add that to the notes wonderful so you guys want to actually start main topics of the show it's only been a little <laughs> over 40 minutes sure down for that so i don't see why not yeah there was some big science and tech news that happened in the last three weeks and and the biggest i think is the fact that to a much greater certainty than ever before we have discovered gravitational waves or at least evidence of them and uh, i'm just so excited like we've been we've been <laughs> waiting for this for so long and we had that close call last was last fall sometime last year where one of the, I think it was a, like a South Pole Observatory or something, found uh, evidence of it in the cosmic background radiation, and then it turned out to just be dust. And but now we've we found it, and it's like it was something like one in a thousand or one in ten thousand chance that it could be like just random. And all it took was finding two giant black holes colliding like <laughs> billions of light years away, <laughs> and we we have evidence of very very slight gravitational waves. What did you what did you guys think of when you heard this first? My first thought, like my initial reaction was Oh my god. I oh my god. And then my next reaction was Of course future chat is on hiatus. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. The biggest 
the biggest science news of the century so far. And we're on hiatus. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It had to happen. It's funny because I recently listened to an episode of East Meets West where you guys casually mentioned how it's still debated what type of form gravity acts on other things. Yeah. And then I read this. I was like, oh, I guess you'll have to revisit that on on East Meets West because it's <laughs> all but confirmed now yeah. how, how gravity behaves. And Einstein was proven right, finally, after all this time of being a hack in science <laughs> and never being respected. Who's <laughs> laughing now? But oh, anyway. Well, I mean, in all honesty, he was a laughing stock for quite a while. It, Not these like days, he though, won his, but... Yeah, in his no, time. I mean, yeah. but he won his Nobel Prize for the photoelectric effect. Yeah, like his his work there, not relativity, right. which is kind of. I mean, we use the photoelectric effect all the time, but it's kind of it's kind of hilarious how that's worked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool. Like, just he, I, I'm always amazed at these astronomical discoveries when they're literally astronomical where yeah. your the detections are so minuscule yeah but wait you can you can determine with such confidence what they're telling you mm. like anything if it's like light absorption or yeah like parallax like any of that kind of stuff it's crazy the scale that these measurements are are taking place at yeah like i don't have offhand the number but these this laser that was detecting these it's a a leg or a a wave of however frequency is so so small but it's like that was what was predicted and that's what they saw yeah well they're talking about i think so, it was several miles uh and we're talking about like milliseconds of of difference in travel time or right no like exactly that. at that yeah how far they're detecting yeah and this is this is like the most massive event that we've ever seen like one of the most massive events we've ever seen in the universe happening super far away and wait like, you know, we can just barely detect it this is the most massive thing we've ever seen One of, is it aliens <laughs> have could it be aliens aliens would not be the most massive thing we've ever seen aliens. are you sure rob are you confident i'm not is it a dyson sphere is that why there's no light coming from these super massive objects nick we shouldn't jump to conclusions that it's aliens <laughs> that's just irresponsible oh <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that's, there's a double standard going know. on here. You can't do that. Oh. Only Mike and I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, we we get excited about aliens when that's one of the more logical conclusions. Uh, but you're saying, in this sense, aliens is just preposterous. There's, well, we know it's black more holes. Likely, yeah. They, okay. They've seen Good. that they're black holes. <laughs> Come as, on, Nick. As a diff. Okay. <laughs> On a serious note, as serious as aliens are, uh, how does LIGO work? LIGO. LIGO. <sighs> Man, having being able to explain that, and I've watched several videos on how LIGO works. The best I can tell, it's kind of similar to an interferometer. Well, I mean, it is an interferometer, but it's like <laughs> on a, on, like it's a massive. Like, what does the I stand for, Rob? <laughs> there's two. No, no, no. Okay, but. but <laughs> 
when I when I say the word interferometer, I'm talking about like a tabletop one, whereas this one is like on the scale of CERN, like it's massive because they need that much that much separation between the two stations, the two observatories, to actually sense even a like minuscule uh, effect because these these waves are they're just so the I guess the wavelengths is are just so tiny that you need to see it over massive distances in order yeah. to actually be able to observe an effect that you can kind of pin down because there's so many other things there's so many other kinds of waves rippling through the universe that picking gravitational waves out from the noise is insanely difficult right i'm sorry that i misused the word interferometer in that this is literally also a interferometer it's just massive okay Glad they got that sorted. But I, yeah, what I should do actually is find a few of the best uh, videos that I've seen explaining it, and then I'll link to those as well yeah. because it really is like this is they're they're saying this is on par with things like the like the invention of the telescope in terms of what it will enable astronomers to actually now do, like what it enable them to observe. It kind of opens up an entire new world of discovery. Which, yeah, I mean, we're going to have so much stuff to follow up on in the next 30 or 40 years of future chat. I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait for the next 40 years of future chat. I know, right? Be old people. I told, I've been telling you for 40 years now, Rob, it's not aliens. <laughs> Can you imagine if we broke that news on this show? How amazing that because would be. Because, of course, we would break it. Yeah. <laughs> like, By then, no we will other. be partnered with TEDx. Well, and, and and Carolyn will be doing groundbreaking research, so we'll have firsthand yeah. access to... Carolyn will be working at LIGO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of call for inorganic chemistry at <laughs> <Yes>. LIGO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll use a dye laser, and then there will actually be call for... Maybe that yeah yeah <laughs> so i'm looking at i'm looking at the operation of ligo yeah and i'm just shocked like at how simple and yet just mind bending this operation must be yeah and I'm also thinking about how incredibly important atomic clocks are to modern day science. <laughs> modern day everything, really. The world would not run properly if not for atomic yeah. clocks. I know. Sure. It's just crazy. And we all just sat around and agreed that like this many oscill like hyperfine oscillations of cesium-137 atoms. Like, yep, that's a second all right. Yep. And now like everything just balances on that uh on that needle of a or that head of a needle yeah. even even things like i mean einstein's other big discoveries like relativity or i guess not discoveries but kind of he elucidated the theory uh like gps requires atomic clocks and also relativistic effects in order to actually kind of correctly keep time with stuff on earth yeah yeah, yeah. i love that stuff Anything else to say on gravitational waves or should we move to the other big story from the last week? It's this thing is just 
interferometers, but at opposite ends of the United States. That that's all it is. Yeah. yeah. I thought it would be so much more complicated. It's just and huge. it's like, well, literally, because like it makes a forty or a four kilometer beam beam path. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> I would have thought this, considering your amazement at the actual discovery, that you would have also looked into it a little bit beforehand. But you, the fact that I called it an interferometer, you laughed at me. But now you're like, it really is just an interferometer. <laughs> no, because I thought it would be more sophisticated than it is. Mm. I also laughed at you because it's basically an interferometer and interferometer it, yeah, is in the title. Yeah. I know. It's just a laser interferometer. Yeah. It's funny because that's how they disproved the ether. Yes. Like the concept of the ether, which light moved through. Yeah. And now we're using the same thing for uh, for gravitational waves. waves. Which Which is like the closest thing we're ever going to find to an ether. (laughs) Yeah. It it all comes full circle. (laughs) It turns out they were right. They were right. They just didn't have a big enough interferometer. It's like that first guy who tried to study NMR and just couldn't, like in the 1800s or whenever it was, and they were like, yeah, I didn't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. So uh, the next most important story, and this is something that we will not be able to discuss in any, with any kind of real information, Uh, (laughs) although there has been kind of some recent stuff about uh, this, this... it's phrased here as Apple versus the FBI. I don't think that's really a, the best way to phrase it, but this, the whole, that is the best way to phrase it. That's what's happening. I mean, if we want clicks, that's the best way to phrase it, but do we not want, no, clicks? that's, <laughs> we want listens, not clicks. It's, we want both. We want clicks and then listens. Um, the, this whole situation, like it's, it's not, it's not Apple taking a stand against the FBI. It's yes, it is. No, but it's it's in it's the whole encryption debate kind of coming to a head between this one company that that they've chosen, like the biggest tech company in the world, that they've chosen to kind of battle it out against. But really, they just wanted to set a stage to have this discussion and have this fight. Okay, so Rob, give us some background. Okay, so. Back in, uh, I guess it was last fall, last early year, winter, yeah. there was a shooting in San Bernardino, California, and they the FBI was doing research and their local authorities involved it too and all this stuff because it was terrorism, so the FBI got involved and it was a whole big thing. And the one of the shooters had an iPhone that was being backed up and... But basically, Apple's encryption on their backups and on their software is too good to be able to be cracked by even the FBI. Like, even code breakers can't break good encryption. Like, that's the whole point of good encryption. You pick really big numbers. They can't be uh, factored without, like, thousands of years on supercomputers. And so they can't can't get it. Prime numbers. Prime numbers is what you're looking for. Yeah, with, like, they're... Finding the factors of a 
two prime numbers that are multiplied together. Anyways, they're, they're, by the way, can you believe the size of that prime number that was discovered? <laughs> I know, right? It's so big and it doesn't have any factors other than one in itself. <laughs> oh, <man>. mind boggling. <laughs> Anyways, back to, back to the actual topic. So there was this whole there was this whole thing for the last couple months that has kind of come to a head now with the FBI saying we want Apple to build basically build a custom piece of software that will break into this this iPhone and allow the FBI to see the contents of it. But so that's a whole debate on itself whether Apple should be required to build a backdoor into its devices to beat can encryption. I, can I add something first? Yeah, sure. Cuz the articles I've I read, can also yeah the articles I've read on it my at least my understanding of it was that the FBI was trying to get into the phone itself not necessarily the backup because there's a whole they, other issue with backups yeah that right. comes in later so so it's the phone itself they're trying to get into so I think they tried breaking in with the passcode mm-hmm. but a- Apple has in their iPhones a system where if you put in too many incorrect codes it wipes the phone. So so that was one aspect. The FBI was like, okay, we need you to take off that functionality where it wipes the phone if you put in too many. Then the other aspect was that the iPhone, every incorrect one, it makes you wait longer and longer before you can try another attempt. Every incorrect so the, 10. Every incorrect 10, it wipes it. But no, every no, no. Incorrect- okay, so the the way it's set up, you can turn it, you can turn a, t- toggle a switch that right. after 10 tries, it will just wipe. Yeah. Yeah, if right. you don't have that switch on, after every 10 tries, it will just bump you up from oh, okay. 30 seconds okay, gotcha. to a minute to like right. a billion years, years if you whatever. do it yeah. enough. So, so the FI wanted the Apple to not only remove the abil- the functionality where it wipes a phone, but to take away the delay between yeah. code attempts. And they wanted the ability to just plug something into the phone and just cycle through all these attempts of the right. passcode without having to hand enter it. Yeah. So it's like the FBI was coming across as very lazy for one. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> Get some intern to just hand enter passcodes. Apparently it was too much for them. Um, and yeah, well, and, and in Apple- fairness, <laughs> like a brute force attempt could take five and a half years with the delay. Yeah. Right. Right. So no, I, I so that's a lot of interns. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Apple was saying that they'd have to custom build software in order to do that mm. and it'd only be effective in new iPhones. They can't retroactively put that right. on the phone, I think they were saying. And then they add their the whole encryption aspect was its own thing as well. So there's multiple layers to this this issue. But well, at the core of it is security and a company's responsibility to both the consumer and to the authoritative yeah. parties. Well, apparently, like, yeah, they do want, they just basically want the ability to brute force it. Like, they just want to plug it in and be able to brute force it. But the other issue at play was this was an older iPhone. Like, this was an iPhone 4 or something like that. And so, okay. So, apparently, with the newer versions of the iPhone, it would be impossible to do what they're trying to do. It's because the security has gotten better in recent years, as Mm -hmm. it should. Um, but it's it's only the fact that it's an older iPhone that they would be able to crack it this way because yeah, it would yeah. just be so, impossible on a newer so, device. So I, on that note, one of the New York Times tech reporters, Farhad Manju, clarified that he got a quote from someone at Apple or Apple made a quote saying that that isn't true, that the newer one still could. It would just be different. Oh, okay. Different and potentially right. harder, but yeah. it could still be done. 
But like the thing on the older one wouldn't be like it wouldn't just easily transfer over to right, the newer exactly. one. Right. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be okay. Different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And see, that's why it's kind of silly to talk about this right now because there's so much mixed information. But there's even more. Like, there's more to this story than just that. Like, that was the thing that came out first. But now they're saying that the FBI actually changed the password, the iCloud password of the, I guess, the Apple account that they were using at, at some point in the investigation and apparently pretty early on. And so now the device is no longer backing up. (laughs) <laughs> Which means that if if it had been backing up, they would have been able to get in through iCloud because iCloud backups aren't encrypted. Right. And but because they did that, now it's now the device isn't backing up the way it's supposed to be because it's locked and they can't change they can't change the account within the phone. And what that means is basically now people are accusing the FBI of doing this just to get Apple to build a backdoor into iOS just so that they have that in the future. Like we talked about uh, with the Digital Fortress, right. which is a really great book. Um, they, that really all it was about all along was the FBI was like, hey, maybe we can get a backdoor if we do this and make make it necessary that we get in for, for terrorist reasons. So how did they well, how did they change the password if they... Not on the phone the... itself, on their account. I'm right. not sure how exactly get, how that was done. How did done, they get the but, original password? Yeah. Yeah. But it was it okay. was not on the phone. Okay. So, a note on that specifically, um, like the FBI in the FBI's request, they are saying that they would use this once and only once, right? And it's not like they want them to build a backdoor into all iPhones. Right. They just want this one modified version of the 5S operating system or whatever it is. But the issue with that is, like, it's two-prong. One of Apple's points, and I agree with them, is that creating that for the first time is dangerous. Because there are going to be many people who will have access to that code. And there are people who will pay very good money to get access to a copy of that code. Because code is like that. All you have to do is copy it and send it away. Yeah. And that it's like opening Pandora's box. Yeah. You can't cram it back into the box. The internet never forgets. Yeah. And the other thing, like the other thing that Apple disagreed with, and I am on Apple's side, which is a phrase <laughs> that I didn't think I would be uttering ever, but here we are. Um, the issue is that it's a dangerous legal precedent to set. Yeah. Because one... Like the FBI is referencing the All Writs Act of 1789 right. <laughs> to tr- to try and get Apple to do this for them, mm-hmm. and that's you know maybe you're reaching just a little bit when you're going for a law that's over 200 years old, <laughs> but and like that because the court system is so dependent upon legal precedents and. You can't just revisit them willy nilly. Like the court will actually shut you down if you're trying to over, like overrule a precedent or upset a precedent because they'll say not enough time has passed yet. Long rambling, sure. ramble longer. Um, like they are saying that they would use it this once and only this once, but if you have a legal precedent for it, 
they can ask again and a court will uphold that. Mm-hmm. It's still up to a judge, though. Well, yeah, it's up to a judge, but if it is up to a judge, but one of the things a judge does when they're considering a legal case is looking at precedents. And so if you set out this precedent, you're basically setting out a guideline that says, oh, yeah, this is totally cool. This is the thing we do now. Mm-hmm. None of us are lawyers, and I'm not a lawyer for one, but yeah. I, I don't know how much power legal precedent has. Like, obviously, it's a thing. It's but what it's all about. Yeah. Like, if you're looking at the United Kingdom, for example, basically everything is legal precedent. Yeah, exactly. Because they have, like, their their attitude is, their their current thing is that they have an unwritten constitution. Mm. So it's just all the laws they've ever passed ever, that's their constitution. Okay. Yeah. So... The entirety of the UK legal system is precedent. Hmm. Yeah, like even even things like murder, there's no law against murder. It's just legal precedent has said you go to jail if you murder someone. What? Is that true? That that was my understanding I, of that, it. That might be a reach, but like <laughs> but basically. Like, that's the kind of they thing. They do have a criminal code, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's slightly different. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how it works exactly, but that's... That's the kind of thing that I've heard, maybe not to that extent with murder, but like if you commit a crime, it's like legal precedent is what's going to get you convicted, not not any actual. So like, for example, um, income tax in Canada, people don't like paying income tax. People have gone to the Constitution and said the government has no constitution constitutional basis for taking my money away from me just because I earned it. But every single time that has gone to court, it has been, well, laughed at heartily for one. (laughs) And it's never succeeded because of precedent and basically precedent alone. Like they can refer to things a certain way and say like, oh, you know, well, we're allowed to levy taxes on things. This is kind of a levied tax, but a big chunk of all those judgments is that there's such a well-established precedent for taxing people's income. Mm-hmm. This I learned from working at border services. Hmm. Right. Uh, the jurisdiction of England and Wales does not have a criminal code, though such an instrument has been rec- often recommended. Uh, as of April 2009, the Law Commission is again working on the code. Hmm. I am just flabbergasted. I, I am too. That's kind of crazy. It's all precedent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, I, in one way, it's good because that means that, like, when things do change, like when technology changes and, and, and like, you start talking about cybercrime, you can make rulings that aren't based on the old code that may not may or may not apply you're making new rules and so if there's a different legal argument that comes up the court will have to consider it and then that will become the new precedent that's a lot of pressure on a judge though yeah that oh, yeah. they're literally relying on precedent and their own judgment versus right. relying on the criminal code and saying well yeah you can you committed a crime yeah it is and the only the only support mechanism they have is those big robes <laughs> and ridiculous wigs <laughs> And the gavel. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, too. you also get down to the idea that um, there are higher courts too. Like you, it, you wouldn't necessarily 
have a small time judge making a ruling that ends up being precedent forever. Like if, if something happened, if it came up that it was under dispute, it would get appealed and go to a higher court. But yeah, nothing is final basically is what it comes down to. It's all kind of up to interpretation, which is in theory good because those like criminal cases are open to interpretation. <clears throat> so yeah. Anyways, uh, is there anything more we wanted to say on that? We're we're already over an hour, and we're through a third of the stories. <laughs> well, I mean, they're pretty big stories. They are pretty big stories. That's true. So, what do you got? I, I'm genuinely curious to hear your reactions because I've tried to articulate my reaction and what I think, but I'm not entirely sure where either of you stand. I am on, all okay. for encryption. Like, 100% stand behind. Like, I don't think having any number of terrorists using encryption is not a reason to not have encryption. Like, there's there's a big law kind of push going through the UK right now talking about getting rid of, like, making encryption illegal or making the ability to decrypt it a legal requirement. And I just, like, that can't pass for me because we need to be able to have that. We have, like... Humans, I think, should have a right to privacy no matter what. Even if they're planning something like against a government or against people, they have a right to privacy. We have, like, law enforcement has a right to kind of use necessary means to get information, but Mm -hmm. do it, like, don't just do it based on the fact that there's no encryption. Like, the fact that we're sending everything through wireless signals now means that everything is kind of up for snooping and the only protection that anyone has for any communication at all that happens through the internet is encryption. It's just not the kind of thing you can leave to, to law enforcement authorities to, to do because at a certain point, like it's a slippery slope, eventually that's like a totalitarian regime will just be able to shut down any kind of dissent right. if, there's, can, if they can access I, any communication. I mean, you just referenced the, sli- the slippery slope and... That's almost, that's widely regarded as a fallacious line of reasoning. Okay. Yeah. Because, I can refer you to any number of books on the subject. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you have a slippery slope on one hand in which, you know, totalitarian state and nobody has any right to privacy. But on the other hand, it's a slippery slope if you allow people to have, you know, total right to encryption and just terrorism could happen always. And we could just live in a lawless land of chaos and anarchy because they didn't overturn our right to encryption. But it like if if terrorists or any person who's kind of against the thread who wants their communication to be kept private because they're planning something bad for instance, you they if they if their phone communication or if their digital communication is unsecure, they're going to use a different method of communication. Having encryption on one method of, or having an unencryption uh, law on any one form of communication means they're going to use a different form of communication or a different form of encryption. Like they're just going to send coded messages if they can't, or they're going to use a different form of uh, messaging that is encrypted. Like you're not going to, you're not going to prevent someone from communicating secretly by making any given form of communication public. Yeah. That that's why I think you may we may as well uphold the security of encryption 
rather than shutting down one form. It just, yeah, that's, that's, that's my position. And it would take quite a bit for me to think something like I would, I would need a pretty good argument to change my mind about it. Mm -hmm. Mike, did you have anything to, to put in or, or give it? Yes. I I would also like to hear Mike's stance. I'm fairly of the same mind that it's probably best to maintain status quo for now because I I honestly don't have and yeah it might be naive or uh, ignorant or whatever of me to just trust the government to use stuff responsibly but I think if this type of thing is developed where you can break encryption or have a backdoor gets into the wrong hands then that's what you don't want and Mm -hmm. in some countries the wrong hands is the government but in my case that's not so I don't have that type of worldview as far as encryption and security, the extent that it affects my life on a daily basis is if I'm making an online payment, I check that they're using HTTPS and that's pretty yeah, much, yeah. that's pretty much all I ever worry about encryption and security. Yeah. And from what I've heard, even that is kind of a false sense of security, <laughs> but I'm, I'm okay staying ignorant to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If, if, for lack of better terms, I it doesn't affect me personally because I don't have, quote-unquote, anything to hide. And I know that's not a very good reason, but that's right. kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. But I, I guess in this specific case, I'd, I'd agree with Apple that it's a dangerous precedent. And, and if it gets into the wrong hands, then that's something you don't want to go and get into. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I think on balance, there's more potential for harm than good. Yeah. If you just, I mean, especially if you just introduce a backdoor into the entirety of iOS. Right. Because how many times has a backdoor been exploited? <laughs> every time. Yes. Yeah, at every least, time. at least one recently. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, in that case, why don't we do, we'll do one more. Nick, we'll, we'll do your story and then we'll call it a week. Ooh. This is more like, in stark contrast to the other things we've said, this is kind of frivolous, but let's do it. I'm curious, though. It sounds interesting. I thought it was really funny. I just got to pull up the link because it had a few estimates. And the there was a study in maths because this is reported by the BBC. And the work actually appears in PLOS One, so we could totally all go and check it out. Yeah. Oh, wait. But oh, this is that one. The, they this- revealed they revealed a link between the number of people in on a conspiracy and the time it will take for that conspiracy to unravel. <laughs> so I guess they actually studied, you know, some previous conspiracies, like, I don't know, Watergate or something like that. But they took that and then extrapolated to say, like, how many modern day suspected conspiracy theories, it, like how long it would take for that to unravel. And so they said if the moon landing was a hoax, it would have been revealed in 3.7 years just because of the number of people that would have had to be, had to have been in on it. Right. Uh, climate change fraud would be revealed in 
3.7 to 26.8 years, depending on how many people are in on it. Right. And the vaccine autism link in 3.2 to 34.8 years or the cancer conspiracy in 3.2 years. And I'm not even sure what yeah, the, cancer what's the cancer conspiracy, conspiracy is. Like cancer is well, just... Well, no, that there's a cure for it that's being kept under wraps. Oh, okay. Interesting. Are you big in the in the foil hat community, Mike? Well, I, I just heard because it's like the, the whole big pharma thing. That big pharma has a cure for cancer, oh. but they keep under wraps to keep selling drugs to treat it. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, the what was it? Specifically, he was missing a good estimate for the intrinsic probability of conspiracy failing. To determine this, Dr. Grimes analyzed data from three genuine collusions. The first was the surveillance program conducted by a U.S. National Security Agency known as PRISM. This program involved at most 36,000 people and was famously revealed by Edward Snowden after about six years. The second was the Tuskegee... Oh, this was bad. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment, in which the cure for syphilis, penicillin, was purposefully withheld from the African-American patients. Yeah. That had 6,700 people and took 25 years. And the third was the FBI scandal in which it was revealed by Dr. Frederick Whitehurst that the agency's forensic analysis was unscientific and misleading, resulting in the imprisonment and execution of innocent people. That was 500 people. Wait. Maximum of 500 people and six years to unravel. So, yeah. That's really interesting. I just thought that was so cool. There's the thing that this makes me think is like, what if, like, because there's a lot of conspiracy theories that go around. What if I want to see an example of a conspiracy that thing that if it was a conspiracy, it would have been unveiled in like four days or something? Like, it's just so many people would have to know. That there's no way it would be kept under wraps for more than, like, 12 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, along those lines, um, like, that's how apparently a lot of terror plots get blown. Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, anything along those lines. It's like the more people have to come in, the greater the likelihood that one of those people is going to be reasonable and go... Oh, sweet Jesus, this is going to get bad. And they eventually go to the authorities. Apparently, that's how, like, the vast majority of that kind of stuff gets, like, you know, cracked or broken. But, yeah. Or not even reasonable. Someone just comes in and says, hey, I want to pay out if I give you this information. Right. So, I came across this, this news when it first came out, like this article that you're talking about. And there's a guy on Twitter who posted an article or response to it because it's actually a fairly flawed study or paper. Like the conclusion is fine because obviously, but the, the reasoning he used and the statistics he supposedly came up with to kind of model this were quite flawed. So it, it wasn't really sound reasoning, but the conclusion was fine because it's not very groundbreaking. Like it was just kind of an understood thing that, yeah, conspiracy theories don't work because there's too many people involved, but the modeling he used as far as kind of matching how many people to the likelihood of it getting, uh, released or whatever. It's, I think it was, that it was like very small sample sizes. Like I think he used like a sample size of one 
for one of the data points mm. to kind of model it. And a lot of the assumptions being made were just kind of pulled out of thin air. They weren't really had any basis for it. So from a peer review basis, this study was not very well received. Okay. Because I think this plus one, plus one, plus one, however you want to pronounce it. Plus. I don't think this is a peer reviewed journal. So this, this paper didn't pass peer review. Actually, I think what it was is that it wasn't very rigorous peer review it went through. I think that was the whole thing. But sure. the people who did peer review it, they still were okay with it for some reason. But there was, there's definitely some criticism. I was just looking to see if I could find the link to that criticism. Like, I agree with the conclusion, but the the math and the reasoning behind it wasn't I, super sound. I, I think in contrast to some of the stuff we've covered where it's like, wait, there's some pretty obvious flaws to this. I think this is more a fact that the, the criticism, which may or may not be valid, is is suspect only because this is just like you you can only look at conspiracies there's it's not like you can just have this big sample pile that he could have but drawn that, that's from. the whole thing it's, yeah. it's not really a valid uh candidate for a scientific study in the first place but because you yeah could. how do you just how it like maybe for now given his resources this is the most scientific kind of study you could do and and the result the results could be true for good reasons but like you'd need a bigger sample of conspiracies to draw from in order to make the conclusion rigorously valid. But that doesn't mean that the the assumptions are necessarily wrong. It's just that they seem arbitrary. Like, I, I'm not saying because we've seen this paper now, a big secret is going to get blown because a lot of people know about it. It's just like, hey, here's a thing. And I wanted to see if, if we could use any maths and st- statistics yeah. to... But- to show any link and here's there is a link yeah. but obviously this is a very small sample size and more research is needed to actually right. draw some but it doesn't say that in the original paper and it was published in a peer-reviewed publishing media that other people will cite and look to as a basis for their own research right but but that's the whole thing with the flaws that really should have been published in there in the first place i'll, I'll post i'll post the link because right, I found it. I'm 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 intrigued by this, and this is something that Nick Nick, you've been suggesting I listen to Planet Money for a long time, and I so I finally did, and I listened to the one where they talk about papers and how oh the experiment experiment yeah the the biases that people have towards not publishing stuff unless it's positive like really well constructed results. I think this is the kind of paper that is on the other side of things where it's not like it's not this big groundbreaking successful thing. It's just like we did some research and here are the results. It doesn't have to be amazingly scientifically valid or have a huge sample size to at least be but published. They're just saying bad, bad science with poor methodology is worthy of being published. But I don't agree with that. But what 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 about this makes it? That's the thing. You have to you have to read the article. Well, you, OK, so you have to read both. I'm going to say like this is. This is purely stats work. Yeah. No, exactly. It's, yeah. So, so this isn't like, you know, a blatant falsification of data. Oh no, like, no one's no is, one's suggesting that. No, no, because like, um, like the, sorry, the NPR episode that Rob and I are referring to. That's where they talk about how flawed methodology in the social sciences can lead to erroneous conclusions. But I feel like the difference between that and this is that this is still like, you know, the central crux of the idea is still valid. It's just, 
it could use much better statistical analysis yeah. is what i'm understanding i i think the the point that it's, I was, it's just that it it's just that it lucked out that the conclusion it reached was what everyone agreed with already but so on that note you'd kind of have to do more like more research is is necessary before calling this confirmed valid whatever scientifically rigorous but the point that in the planet money episode was that there are a lot of studies where you a, a group or research group will do 20 experiments one of them proves something successful on what they were trying to do. It's they publish that one, but the other nineteen just get filed away and never see the light of day. Okay. So you could you could do an experiment where you do a hundred coin flips and get a hundred heads, and you publish that one, but it doesn't show that you did thousands of other experiments where it worked out almost fifty fifty. And so you're like, wow, this this okay. coin is so, only lands on heads all the time. So th- there's a whole section in this paper where they use graphs to show that like the decay of people being around to hold the secret and all this kind of stuff. But there's like literally a mathematical error in the plots. Like, so there, there's something about changing population and people dying off who originally held the conspiracy mm-hmm. and people around to release it and all this kind of stuff. And he, he doesn't in the paper, it doesn't account for people dying and then the secret dying with them and all this kind of stuff. So like you just read the, read the thing. Okay. And and so 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 the conclusion that this guy who wrote this this criticism of was that he said in truth the changes to the math don't affect the conclusions too much. Um, the conclusion still makes sense if you have a lot of people hiding conspiracy becomes incredibly unlikely. Yeah. But we knew this already. Even if we corrected his mistake, the model Grinds presents would just be standard probability curve with some improbable assumptions plugged into it. It doesn't get us any closer to prediction for the longevity of any real world conspiracy. Um, it sounds like he needs to write another it paper. Does that's exactly what I'm thinking? Like no. this guy should. If he, he just. What do you mean? No, he shouldn't just do that's bad the math. Point and, of he shouldn't. That's do, the point of this whole like thing that we do called science but, and using journals. But see, this thing should have come up in the peer review. That's the whole point. But that is doesn't that, mean don't that, publish it. No, try to publish it. But that's the whole point of peer review. So peer review failed in this case. That's the whole point. Peer review may have not pointed out flaws, but just because a paper gets a paper could be peer reviewed perfectly and still have a flaw, and then someone right. would publish a study that follows up on it. Right, but this is a poor peer review. That's the whole problem. This is poor peer review. Uh, it's fine to like want to go do it, go do it, but submit a peer review, and the peer review should ideally catch this. I guess, but catch it and then fix it and then still publish this paper almost exactly the same as it was and then do a follow-up study yeah from fix this other it guy. but this wasn't fixed and it shouldn't have got to the point where it's published with this error <laughs> just read read the article Sub- submit a correction this this guy not you mike submit a correction <laughs> and then do a follow-up study and then you're fine like i don't i agree i don't think it's I, that I don't, big I don't of a know deal. if he i don't know if he has released a statement saying yeah sorry my bad but yeah i i agree that he should I think this is this is science working the way it's supposed to. Just because something got discovered a bit later than the publication date doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad science. Just like, yep, this guy wasn't a peer reviewer, and if he had been, they would have caught this and fixed it. I don't know. It seems fine. Yeah. <laughs> I like this guy's. I've never met this guy before, this David Grimes, but he makes me think of James Grimes, and so that's who I'm picturing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, of course he's right. Like he's a cool guy, right? That's, that's called bias, Rob. Yeah. 
<laughs> I am biased towards this guy being a cool guy. Okay. At least you're willing to I don't need that. safety gloves because I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> oh, man. That's a different Grimes, Nick. The, grimy. The, uh, Was it grimy? Yeah. Yeah, grimy. Yeah. They, uh... <laughs> He's looking at uh, maybe maybe Chris T. Botch, Botch of the University of Waterloo actually did give some criticisms, and he and then he was just lost it. Was like, oh, look at me! I'm Chris T. Botch, and I eat lobster for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, all we're talking about here is it's the University of Waterloo that's at fault. <laughs> <laughs> the entirety of the University of Waterloo is at fault. <laughs> I mean, what what even is that campus? Yeah. Well, look at me. I'm the University of Waterloo. I like concrete, right angles, and quadrants. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Right up here. If you've been to the University of Waterloo, that will make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> I can imagine what it might mean. Their library is at the center of their campus, and it is a cube. A cube made of concrete. Interesting. They've nicknamed it the sugar cube because they illuminate it at night, and that's what it looks like. Hmm. They um, Right at the top of this journal article, it says plus one, and then it says open access, and then it says peer-reviewed. And now I'm very interested to know what, yeah. what, how it's peer-reviewed and how it's differently possibly peer-reviewed than other journals because... Peer review isn't perfect. Peer review is done by the same people that made this, that wrote right. this paper. So it's like it doesn't necessarily guarantee that anything's going to be better. It's just but a if, different if set of eyes. If the people they're at using it. to review their papers suck, then the peer review process doesn't work very well. But it's peers. Like that's the whole point. Right. That doesn't mean they're good peers. Right. It means they're, it doesn't mean the researcher is good. It doesn't mean the peers are good. It's just a different set of eyes. But ideally, the people reviewing it should be good. At least good enough to catch obvious mistakes, like the one those made in this paper. But that, so all all we've really all I've learned from this exercise is that <laughs> this guy that wrote the follow up article should have yeah. been a peer reviewer on this piece. If that would have solved the entire issue, no. What would have solved it was a peer reviewers were good in the first place. But a peer reviewer being good doesn't necessarily mean they're going to catch everything. It just means they're going to catch things that they've specifically already been through in their. At some point in their career. I don't know, Rob. It's like it's like Slumdog Millionaire. They you have to go through a specific set of circumstances and Really? This, it's, it's, that's where we're going with yeah, that's the this, analogy. This other guy did that. He went through the that set of circumstances where he can now point out flaws in this guy's paper, but he wasn't one of the peer reviewers, so it didn't work out. If he had only been that peer the peer reviewer, it would have been fine. I don't know. I think you do know. They should go get a beer and talk about it and then make up. You should let people decide for themselves whether this paper <laughs> is valid or not. Maybe maybe they should get a picture and figure it out. Yes. Aside from aside from the conclusions that it drew, because yeah, no one's arguing with the conclusion. It's just how they got to that conclusion. Right. Is flawed. Mm. Well, would you guys be comfortable wrapping up at this and, and leaving <laughs> this for the for the ages? Yes. I just realized that I wasn't actually paying attention and I was reading the link that Mike posted. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this is probably a good point at which to cut it. Fair enough. 
Uh, yeah. So thanks again for coming back after our, our long three-week hiatus. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Science and Tech Talk. You can find past episodes of the show and more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you next time. Ciao.